Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. We have an awesome, awesome guest today. His name is Tim Brotz. What's going on, man? Mike, excited to be here, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, I'm excited to be here too, man. Thanks for being here, and thanks so much for talking to our audience. We're super excited to, uh, to interview you because you are another legend in the game, man. You're out there kicking ass. You're out there doing seminars and, and doing all these conferences and, and kicking ass in commercial real estate deals, dude. That's, that's awesome. Keeps me busy, dude. No, it's uh, it's all good, man. Like, I, I got a long story. I'm sure we'll get into it, and uh, yeah. uh, I could talk about how we scaled, how I got started, all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, momentum's one of those crazy things, man. When you get momentum, you're almost afraid to lose it, you know. So then you start yeah. working harder, and then when you start working harder, then you gain more momentum, and it's like this perpetuating cycle that uh, um, it's pretty wild. Like. It's one of those things where like I shoveled shit for a very long time, right? Like I, I've been in the game for 11 years and really only the past like two years have people really like, like oh man, like he's got a lot of cool stuff going on. That's cool. But it's like the, the double a penny every day, you know, after, after three weeks, like you double it every day, would you rather have a, a million dollars or right. a penny doubled every day for a month? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think what a lot of people don't pay attention to on that is that, of the growth comes on the last day of the month, right? It doubles the last day and then finally crests over $5 million on day 31, whatever it is. But on day 21, there's only $10,000, right? It's not until day 28 that it hits over a million, then two and a half million, then 5 million or whatever it was, 29, yeah. So uh, a lot of people pay attention to uh, the last couple days, but the reality is, dude, that compound effect is working either in your favor or not in your favor, depending on the activities that you're doing today, all that stuff's going to compound over time. And uh, you're going to see the results of, of all that labor and all that work two, three, four years down the road. I love that you said that, man. Uh, that's actually really funny because that was going to be one of my questions at the end. It's like, how long does it take you know, to, to really compound everything that you've been working for. And I love that, right? It takes time. And I want you, I want you to ask that question again at the end, because I can kind of bring that full circle because I've been shoveling crap, dude, there's ways to expedite it, right? Like you can grow up and there's some things that you can do, um, with people who have, who have been in the game and, uh, have had a little bit more momentum than you have and kind of piggyback on them. So we'll talk about that a little later. For sure, man, for sure. But yeah, so let's talk about grassroots, man. I mean, you are one of the, uh, so you're from New York, right? Uh, I I lived in New York for about a year and a half. I'm from Uh, Cleveland, Ohio originally. originally, That's what I'm calling you from. That's where we're talking from right now. Cleveland. Okay. Awesome, man. That's good stuff. Yeah. I yeah. grew up in New York. I grew up okay. in New York. It's my old stomping grounds up from the Bronx. So yeah, dude, I lived in, uh, I lived in Brooklyn for a little bit. I lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan for a little bit. Nice, man. And that's where you got your start in real estate, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I was going through college when mm-hmm. re- the, the market was going gangbusters before. So 03 yeah. to 07, everybody's like, Hey, everybody can make money in real estate. If you want to make money, get involved in real estate. That's what motivated me back then. So right. um, when I graduated from college in 07, I moved out to New York. My brother was living out there and he's like, dude, just come and you know, shack up with me and find a job. <laughs> and so I, uh, I decided to get my real estate license 
And I, and I got hired with a little boutique firm, commercial real estate firm in Manhattan that essentially represented landlords who had a retail space that they needed to market or offices that they needed to market, or they represented business owners who were looking for a second, third, fifth, first location, whatever. Right. And so uh, uh, I, I got a listing. It took me about six months to close my first deal. And on that first deal, dude, it was 400 square feet, little, little, uh, shop down on, on Bleecker and Thompson. So in, in okay. the village. Yeah. In the village. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it was 400 square feet and we signed a lease with a falafel shop for $10,000 a month. And I'm like <laughs> 12 year term, 4% annual escalations. I'm like, dude, how is this possible? I'm doing the math on this whole thing. And I'm like, this landlord is going to make almost $2 million over the next 12 years for something they did at one point in time. And I realized like, dude, I'm on the wrong side of the coin. I need to get out of this brokering stuff and get into owning real estate. This landlord, that was, that was a small, the smallest retail space. He had seven other retail spaces. Some of them were several, like 5,000, 10,000 square feet, you know? And then, uh, yeah, crazy dude. And then uh, he had 15 stories of apartments above it. So I'm like, I need to be doing that. And so I moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, and, uh, just kind of hung out down there. Didn't know anybody, but you know, went through this analysis paralysis phase of trying to learn everything about right. in real estate. Um, dude, I was consumed by the idea of residual income and passive income. And like, how do I build that up? I think that a lot of people get into real estate because of that. But, uh, you know, what I found myself doing, and I think a lot of people find themselves doing is they get stuck in this transactional rat race, right? That's the yeah. transactional. Let me go and wholesale a house. Let me go and flip a house. Let me go and do whatever in order to because uh, I have to, you know, in my mind, I had to stockpile a bunch of cash yeah. in order to be able to go and invest in long-term, long-term assets. And it becomes I apologize, man. I'm all, I'm all congested because my allergy has been kicking yeah, my Yeah, no, no worries, man. Completely um, understand it, dude. Yeah, but you're absolutely right because it becomes a business at that point. It's not really passive. Right. It's, it's a high-paying job, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, I can control my time, but the reality is I sell a house. I have to go do it again to get paid again. Right. And, uh, and how do we go out and build this, this residual, you know, this mailbox money that, that we all hear about? Is it real? Is it not? I don't know. But um, I fell into that, that, hey, let me go flip a house. I didn't have any money. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any resources down there. I didn't have any experience in this stuff. Uh, but I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't going to learn how to swim by reading about swimming in a book. You mm-hmm. know, I actually had to jump in the water. Right. And so I said, hey, man, I got to go buy a house. Like, I, I can't read books for another two years, right? And so, uh, um, I said, one of the things that I think I've been pretty good at is asking myself questions, right? I think a lot of people say, Hey, listen, I I don't have the insight. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. And it shuts their brain off from working. The issue with that is like, dude, you tell you, you make a statement to yourself. It shuts your creative juices off and you go back to do whatever you were doing before. When you ask yourself a question, it forces you to become more resourceful. Mm. And I remember hearing Tony Robbins say once, he goes, listen, like a lot of people say they can't do it because they don't have the time, the money, the, the resources. Well, resourcefulness is the ultimate resource. So if you are resourceful, you can go find the resources somewhere. Right. And the way you become resourceful is just by asking yourself good questions, dude. And good questions lead to good answers and better questions lead to even better answers. And so I remember uh, just saying, hey, like, how can I get the money? I'm 23 years old at the time. This is 2009. I'm 23 years old. Nobody's going to give me money. I've never done a deal. This is after the market just tanked. Like everybody's saying run away from real estate. Um, I don't have any credit. I like, like there's no chance I can get money from anybody, you know? So 
I'm like, uh, well, I remember reading somewhere that I could call my credit card company and ask them to increase my credit card limit. And so that's what I did, dude. I had a, a credit card with a $3,000 limit. I called them up. I said, hey, I'm about to make a big purchase. I need you to, to, to bump up my, my, uh, my limit. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how much do you need? I said, I need $100,000. And she's like, <laughs> sir, we, we appreciate your 15 months of, of uh, being a customer with us, but there's absolutely wow. no chance we're going to give you $100,000, right? Oh, my Lord. And I was like, well, how much can you give me? And they give me 15000 one five. Okay. So, so I found the cheapest house in the entire MLS, which was listed for twenty five grand. I make an offer on it at twelve. You know, they come back at twenty. I come back at fourteen, which is the most I can do, and uh, and they accepted it. And so, hey, I, I, I showed up <laughs> at title with a balance transfer check from my credit card to buy this house. And the got like blue ink on it, perforated edges. It says like. Chase MasterCard or whatever. The, the closing attorney's like, what the hell do you want me to do with this? Man. Like, go oh. get bank certified funds. So, right. Uh, you know, close the next day. I was like, I don't know. What do you want? Right, right. And then I, I physically did all the work on it. You know, like I changed, I'm YouTubing how to change out carpet. I'm uh, um, buying stuff on eBay and taping it to the top of my, of my car to go and, uh, uh, buying carpet, you know, uh, on eBay and taping it to the top of my car in order to drive it to the property because I, I can't afford a truck, you know, like just crazy stuff. Um, painted the whole place, did all the landscaping, like all the stuff that I could do, really just slap lipstick on a pig. Right. And I didn't know how to sell it. So I said, hey, how do you sell this stuff? And I Google search how to sell. Uh, and it's like, oh, we'll hold an open house. All right, great. So I passed out a bunch of flyers to all the neighbors, put some signs out and uh, held an open house. One of the neighbors comes by and dude offers me, um, Ball into the property for about nineteen twenty thousand dollars. They offered me thirty three grand, so I made about thirteen fourteen thousand dollars. Dude, that's in awesome! Seventy five days, like on my first deal, not knowing anything what I'm doing. Uh, I've never had experience. I'm twenty three years old, and it's, it's the worst real estate recession in a hundred years, right? And so um, I was hooked. Let's Dude. go do it again. Let's go do, go it, do again. it again, right? That's awesome. <laughs> and then you get into wholesaling, and you and you. And then you start meeting people who, who realize that you know how to find a good deal, right? And maybe right. they have the resources, maybe they have the money, but they don't have the time, they don't have the skill set, they don't have the bandwidth to take on more deals. And I met some people that fell into that category. And so they put up money for deals and I did all the work and we figured out some sort of a split on the equity. And, um, and I started buying and holding some properties and started doing a little bit of that. And then um, uh, got to meet some, you know, more people with more money and uh, really started building up a little bit of a portfolio. And so uh, got engaged, got married to my wife. She's from Cleveland. So I've been moved back here about seven oh, years right. ago. Um, and, and at that time, there were a couple of guys that reached out to me like, dude, we could put up about a million bucks over the next couple of years here. Why don't you uh, just kind of go and, and get after it? So dude, I gave up 70% of my first 250 deals that I did because I knew that I had to build a resume. I knew that I had right. to like, get some, some deals under my belt in order to kind of be able to posture up in the future with lenders, with sellers, with other partners, and uh, gave up a lot of equity in all my, all my first deals. Uh, built up a little bit of a portfolio, about 150 units, and then that partnership went south. And so we had to liquidate everything about four years ago and um, just been doing my own thing ever since. Uh, it was a pretty difficult kind of partnership that we broke up. It was real stressful and stuff. Yeah. And uh, but, you know, sometimes like 
what seems like a big setback in your life. I, I worked the past four years to build up and buy all these properties. Um, some setbacks are really setups, right? Yeah. And so sure. um, it, it really opened me up to go and do some stuff on my own, to work with other partners and start building up my own team and really spread my wings as an entrepreneur. And so, uh, yeah, man, over the past four years, dude, I'm, I'm currently, I've just been focused on apartments. Um, uh, I'm, well, I used, I used to do some turnkey, had a management company. And then about two years ago, I said, dude, I'm making more money from my apartments or, or building more wealth from my apartments than I am from my, my turnkey flipping business. Right. And, uh, let's just focus on apartments. And so, um, was doing it passively for a couple of years and then, uh, uh or part-time for a couple of years and then really full-time just rocking and rolling. That's the only thing we focus on for the past 24 months. And uh, today I'm at 3,200 units, uh, 3,207 units, a little over $250 million of, of property value. Nice, um, man. And I have a significant chunk of all that. I don't traditionally syndicate like a lot of uh, multifamily investors do. Mine's a little bit different. Okay. I only buy value add and, and they're usually pretty heavy value add properties. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, between me and my joint venture partners, we usually are able to maintain around 70 to 80% of the equity in the deal. And then the, the investors only have their money in for a short period of time because we can swap them out. We, we force appreciation versus speculating on it. So we buy some pretty heavy value add stuff and we can turn around the investor's money usually in 12 to 18 months and then they get their cash back. And then they keep um, a good, you know, about 20, 30% of the equity in perpetuity then forever. That's so awesome. it's a sweet deal for them. It's a yeah. sweet deal for us and um, right. allows us to keep on growing the portfolio, dude. I love that model. That actually is, is so awesome because, right, I mean, you're, you guys are heavily leveraged into the property, right? So you guys are responsible for it, but you get the folks in and out quick. You get the capital that you need to close on deals and you give a nice little sweet kicker on the end. That's cool. I love and, that. And what's really cool is like, if you have somebody into a deal for five years, yeah. right? Like you can only do one deal with them. Right. I can turn their money over three times inside five years. So I don't have to go out and continue raising private money all the time. When I refinance that dude, the first question is like, bro, what's the next deal? Right? Like let's roll yeah. into another deal. Let's, let's do another one and keep this thing going. That's and so smart. over the course of five or 10 years, you know, they got, they're in six or seven different deals with me in 10 years with these little annuities paying up. They made a good fixed interest rate while, uh, while the money was in play. And then um, uh, they have all their money back and they still have these big pops of refi proceeds and sales proceeds, whatever those occur. But it allows us to hold the property long-term versus having to sell it right. uh, in order to cash out our investors. That's awesome, man. So what markets are you guys looking in? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm headquartered out of Cleveland, Ohio. We own some stuff here up here in Cleveland. Majority of my properties in South Carolina and Georgia. Okay. I have a little bit in Florida and, uh, I got a couple hundred units in like Texas and Oklahoma as well. Okay. So like that Southeast region and yeah, then South, Southeast, a little bit, South, South, a little bit of the Midwest. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would do more in the Midwest. I just, uh, I got some really, really good partners and stuff down in the Southeast. And, and so, uh, they keep me pretty busy. Awesome, man. That's cool. So what, what exactly do you look for when you're looking into a market? I mean, what, what drew you to the Southeast? Uh, I like that it's landlord friendly. Mm -hmm. um, landlord friendly is good. You know, like I, I, you're from New York, right? Yeah. Like you know what it's like to evict somebody in New York. Yeah. You've heard stories. You know, it could take nine, nine months, could take two Forever. years to evict somebody. Yeah. Right down in Georgia, if somebody doesn't pay their rent on the first of the month, I can file on the on the third or the fifth. Yeah, and uh, we usually give them a five day grace period. 
we follow the fifth, dude, we have a, a, a court date two weeks later and they're out within, within five to seven days thereafter. Wow. So like within, within three weeks, somebody's out down in Georgia. Um, and that's if I want to give them the grade. Like I can have them out within like two and a half, three weeks. Yeah. So nice. um, I like that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we, we always try to work with our tenants, but if there's somebody who's a shit bag that, that shouldn't be in there, <laughs> they, they got to go, right? They're not right. Uh, respectful to the property. They're not respectful to the other tenants. Like they got to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like landlord friendly. I like that it also doesn't get beat up by the snow and the ice and the weather and the freezing temperatures. Yes. Right. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that's cool. Um, I like that you can do construction year round down South uh, versus like up here in Ohio. Like people don't move between Thanksgiving and like really Easter, right? Like there's four months of really a lot of downtime Jeez. where if you have a vacancy that pops, it's very difficult to get people into the property mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the winter time. And you can't do any, any exterior work because all the temperatures are frozen. So wow. the warmer weather allows you to, to work on the property year round and, um, and also a lot more flexibility in tenants moving in, moving out, that kind of stuff. Right. So um, uh, I like that. And then I like uh, uh, labor, you know, you don't have unions and all that kind of stuff down there. So that helps. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different driving factors for me. I'll really buy in any market though, that has like, like I'll buy in California. I would buy in like upstate New York. I would potentially do that as long as we're buying at the right cost basis. Right. Dude, I've bought properties. I made a lot of money early on in the hood, right? In the toughest parts of Cleveland, in the toughest parts of Charleston, South Carolina. And, um, uh, I made some of my best returns and my worst returns actually in those types of neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, it's risky, man. But what I always did was I always bought at a wholesale price. Okay. And a lot of people are like location, location, location. They're looking at all these demographics. I'm like, listen, if you're buying at a low enough basis, mm-hmm. you have options, right? right. Like, like as long as you're, you're buying at a low enough basis and you have nicer units than the building across the street, that's really all that matters. Like, exactly. are the, are, you know, is the population growing? Is it declining? Is it stagnant? Like, what are the economic indicators? Like, we pay attention to some of that stuff, uh, more from a financing perspective to know what our financing looks like. But at the end of the day, dude, I know I'm going to have nicer units than anybody else in town, and I know I'm going to buy it at a lower basis. So if, if I can offer the same rent for a nicer unit, right? Or, right. or, uh, or less rent for an equal unit. Um, I know I'm going to attract the best tenants in that entire town and I'll always stay occupied. Right. Love it. <laughs> so, so for me, I always buy wholesale, wholesale, wholesale. That, that is what I preach is mm-hmm. always buy at a deeply discounted purchase price. A lot of times you're buying a distressed property though. So you got to be willing to roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, do the work in order to force appreciation on the property. Um, because if a property's stabilized and it's cash flowing great, you're not going to get a deep, like a discount on it. You're going to have to pay retail price. And me as an investor, dude, especially coming from the residential realm, you know, I always had to be all into a, a house for 65% of the after repair value. Right. You know? So I just took that. I, I, I was never, I never went to a syndication course. I never read a book about it, anything like that on apartments. I just took the same mindset that I had in, in residential and I rolled it into commercial. And so That's dude, my model is I got to be all in for 65% of the after repair value. So if a building can appraise for $10 million, I got to be all in for six and a half. That That's allows smart. me to force the appreciation. And then when I go and put a 75% loan to value loan on it, I'm able to pay off the acquisition loan. I'm able to pay off my private equity investors. And then there's a million dollars of 
of refi proceeds that we're able to carve up amongst all the owners. So we get a chunk at that time and then we can hold the property long-term, you know? So it allows us to, uh, uh, to get into deals a more on a long-term basis because dude, we're here to build wealth, right? right. I, I see a lot of guys coming into apartment buildings and they buy it, they fix it up and then they sell it. And that's just a high paying job. They're a high, they're a highly paid flipper. And that's to true. me, like I'm here to build wealth. I want to buy assets that, that we provide value to somebody who's willing to then pay for that asset tenants. Right. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of time, the tenants pay down the principal on the loan, the property appreciates the investors have already been paid back. Right. And, and then all of a sudden 10, 15, 20 years down the road, like we're young guys, we, we got some time on our hands here. We need to start buying real estate and then waiting. Right. And then, uh, uh, so like and all that equity that builds up over the next 10, 15, 20 years, like, Dude, that is where real wealth is created. <clears throat> right. I agree, man. I agree. And, it, and it's awesome. I love that philosophy. You know, you go in uh, with your criteria and you stick there, right? You don't get emotional over it because it's real estate. And if yeah. you can't find that deal, if that deal's not going to work, hey, there's one right around the corner, you know? Yep. But, uh, dude, and, and, and that's one of the yeah. things that I think a lot of people are going through right now is, yeah. you know, they're just trying to force deals. They just want to get in, into a deal. Like, Dude, as much as my net worth has increased by getting into apartment buildings, right? One bad deal can take your legs out, dude. Seriously, yeah. So, so like when I look at deals and I underwrite deals, and as ambitious as I am, like I want a billion dollar portfolio in the next eighteen to twenty four months, right? So I'm at two hundred fifty million right now. I want a more than I want to three x my portfolio. It's really I get it, man. But by the end of twenty twenty one is the goal, right? Okay. So I got twenty four about twenty eight months uh, to do it. As ambitious as I am, dude, I try to kill every single deal that comes across my plate. And if I cannot kill this thing, then I know it's a good deal. All right. <laughs> that's awesome, man. So that's good. So guys, if you're listening to this and you're just getting started, you really need to, to adopt Tim's philosophy, man, because it's smart and it's, it's true. Don't go chasing after deals. Let deals come to you, right? I mean, really, like you, you have to set your criteria and filter it through just like you would anything else. Um, in the military, you know, we, we fall on checklists all the time, right? So yep. make sure all those wickets in the checklists, the checklists are met. If they don't, then push it on and find something else. So the, there will always be deals mm -hmm. and you just have to get to them before the brokers or yeah. else gets to them. Right. So you need to have more of a sorting mentality. A mm -hmm. lot of people look at a deal and they're like, how can I make this work? No. I look at a deal and I say, does this work or does it not work? If it doesn't work, if it works, great. I'll put, a, put an offer in on it. If it does not work, I'll still put an offer in on it. They'll, they could be asking 8 million bucks and I'll say, hey, I'd be closer to 4.5 million. Is it worth continuing the conversation? That to me is still making an offer and at least putting it out there, right? You got to swing the bat in order to see if something might, if you might be able to get a hit, you know? Right. <laughs> if you don't at least put, put the offer out there, then uh, you never know. And, and I'll give you an example. Mike, you're from New York. Yep. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but the, uh, uh, the Chrysler building just traded um, earlier this year. No, I didn't. Yeah. So the Chrysler building, probably the third most famous building in all of New yeah. York, right? You got the Empire State Building, you got the Freedom Tower. Chrysler mm -hmm. building is probably number three. Um, it was built, I'm sorry, it was bought last and in the trough, 2009, it last traded. And some, I think, Middle Eastern company fund something bought it's this oil shell yeah mm -hmm. for 800 million dollars at the bottom of a market okay wow 
So now we're at the top of a market. <laughs> property comes on the, the property comes on the market and it's one of these like price to be determined by the market, right? So mm-hmm. like just make an offer and we'll see if we accept it or not. We're going to see who makes offers. So everybody underwrites this thing and they're like, dude, the numbers just don't make sense. You know, they're going to want $1.2 billion for this thing or more maybe, who knows? Like, and there was some stuff going on. Like there was a land lease that like was, was renewing. And so the financials got kind of all screwy. Right. Um, but the reality is like everybody looked at it and they're like, the numbers don't make sense. I'm not even going to make an offer because they bought it for 800 million at the base of the, at the base of the market. Now we're at the peak. They're going to want way more than that. And so nobody even swung the bat until some, I think it was like a, like a Swiss group or something comes in and they're like, Oh, you know what? Uh, numbers make sense at about $150 million. So here, we'll make an offer at 150 million. Dude, less than 20% of what it last sold for. These guys have the audacity to make that offer. Stop. Don't even tell me what you're going to tell me right now. You know what it sold for? $150 million. Oh my God. Are you serious, dude? What? That is epic. You cannot hit a home run unless you swing the bat. You gotta swing the bat. That is amazing, man. Crazy, dude. That's insane. Dude, you don't know what a seller's motivation is. They might have bought it just for losses for the next 10 years or something. True. Like, who knows? Like, it, maybe they want to sell it just to be able to write off, uh, what is that, a $650 million loss. That's, that's pretty good, you know? They might have may, be making so much money in oil or something else. We don't know. Like, you can't speculate <laughs> on this stuff. You've got to swing the bat. You just got to make the offer. That you have to swing that bat. Dude, that is insane. Bro, I know one person that's going to listen to this podcast, and he's, gonna, he's literally going to piss his pants, man. Because he's <laughs> like, oh, my God. Shout out to my boy, Mitch. He is, like, gung-ho to buy a skyscraper. Like, he yeah. wants to buy one. But he's going to be so pissed hearing that he missed out on that. You that is make crazy. got to make some no, offers, I, though. So, so I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, right? Dude, the biggest building in Cleveland, Ohio is a, is a key bank uh, building. And it was built, dude, 20, 25 years ago. Beautiful yeah. building. It's like newer construction. Everything's up to code, right? Good, good solid property. They, and they built it for like $450 million 25 years ago. Some dude comes in. And he's, he's a big buyer. He's a big owner in town. Uh, he's got probably 15,000, 18,000 units, something like that. Um, comes in, makes an offer at $350 million, $360 million. No, no. Dude, it was like... Tw- $280 million. Oh like he bought Lord. it for like 200 million bucks less than what it was built for wow. 25 years ago. <laughs> That's I don't know. And got it. That's crazy. Got it. Man. Dude, and, and here's the other thing. I, I don't know all the details of it, but I heard he got 80% loan to value loan on it. <laughs> then he got MES financing, like another, like almost like a second mortgage. Yeah. Another 15%. He only had to bring 5% of $280 million. So he had to bring, what is that? 14 million? Hey, he's doing some project management. He was going to put like $70 million into the property anyways. And his, his uh, developer fee just happened to be $14 million. So he goes, hey, instead of me bringing $14 million, why don't you just, I just won't take a developer fee and we'll contribute that. And the bank's like, okay. The dude <laughs> comes out of pocket, okay. no money to buy a $280 million building. Oh my God, man. So that was built for bat. $400 million, right? <laughs> That's dude, epic, dude. dude it, it, like you think about this stuff and you're, you're like, why, why not me? Right? Why not? We all have this bullshit in our head. Yes. Oh, I need to earn it. I didn't, I didn't pay my dues yet. Somebody, 
somebody else needs to anoint me as worthy. Like, dude, that's all bullshit. It's all, it's all pent up in our head. Dude, dude, it is all bullshit, man. And this goes exactly what I keep like telling people. You have to think bigger. Think bigger. Like, don't go for the small fry. Honestly, I was just talking to my mentor the other day and he was telling me, he's like, why are you going for these 80 unit deals? Why are you going for this 100 unit deals? Do three, 400 deal, unit yeah. deals. The work is exactly the same. It's the same, dude. It's the same. You're just getting it's bigger it. profits. I, I teach a lot of people, uh, coach people how to get into like apartments from the residential realm. I'm like, yeah. listen, would you rather go and negotiate with a hundred single family sellers or a single seller of a hundred unit apartment building? You know, would you, would you rather drive yeah. to a hundred locations or one location? Would right. you rather get a hundred mortgages or one mortgage? Like, yeah, like there's, there's a little bit more work on a, if, if you were compared to a single family house to a hundred unit building, there's going to be more work on a hundred unit building. Right. But, <clears throat> there is not more work. Like it's probably less work to buy a hundred unit building than it is to buy 10 single family houses. Right. I like, agree. But there's a scale, like a balance somewhere in there yeah. where it, where it is like, dude, it's easier to do bigger deals as create. It's easier to raise money on bigger Absolutely deals. I understand. Yeah. If everybody in that key bank building in that, in that deal wanted the deal to get to the finish line. Didn't matter what side of the table you were sitting on the banker, for the primary debt, the mezzanine finance banker, because he's getting a bonus as well. The first person's getting a bonus. The commercial mortgage broker is getting a bonus. The insurance person has a massive insurance. The title company wants to make sure it gets there. Like the, the seller, the buyer, every, the, the attorneys, like everybody gets paid in a big way on a multiple hundred million dollar deal, right? So like everybody right. wants to see the deal to the finish line. So everybody's working as a collaborative force to make sure that that happens. It's easier to do bigger deals than it is to do smaller deals. Dude, it is, man. That is, that's epic. And that's, and that's so awesome. I absolutely love that story. It's so motivating. Like my blood is literally like <laughs> on fire right now. It's wild, man. Oh man, that's so and, motivating. And, and, dude, here's, here's what I will say. The size of your success is directly correlated to the size of your thinking. So if you think bigger, dude, you will succeed bigger. You'll have bigger relationships. You'll have bigger health. You'll have bigger, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, marriage. You'll have bigger influence. You'll have bigger success, like bigger bank accounts. Everything will be bigger if you just start thinking bigger. And the only thing that limits our thinking is ourselves. Dude, we're the only people who can limit our greatness. You are the only person who can limit your own greatness. I'm the only person who can limit my greatness, dude. So you just got to get out of your own way and not listen to the bullshit that, that's so been right. planted in our heads for 30 years, right? So right, my man. So right. Tim, this, oh my God, man. This is phenomenal, bro. I, I'm, I, like, <laughs> I can't tell you how much on fire I am right now. <laughs> Guys, you have to think big, okay? This, that, that's literally probably going to be the title of this podcast. So yeah, man, this is great. Great. Awesome. Dude, dude, tell me what is going on for you, man? What's next? I, you do it in events. Every quarter you got something going on. Talk to us, man. Yeah. Now, so, you know, I'm, I'm bigger than the small investors. I'm not quite some hedge fund or some REIT. Uh, so I have a lot of people who hit me up. They're like, dude, will you, co will you coach? Will you do this? Do we do that? And I looked at my, and, and dude, I've been to all the seminars, right? I've spent yep. hundreds of thousands of dollars on this shit. Mm. A lot of it was a waste. A lot of it met, met some great people. A lot of it, um, I learned a lot too. You just never know. So I think yeah. you got to keep on investing in that stuff. I think investing in yourself will always be the best investment, right? The 100%. highest return on investment. And so 100%. Um, I remember like I was building up a business, my, my management company. I had like 25 employees plus my investment staff, which was another 
whatever, seven people plus however many employees I had at each one of my properties a couple years ago. And, and I'm like, dude, I cannot stand. I ended up becoming a, an adult babysitter, right? And I'm, I'm dealing with all this drama and all this bureaucracy and all this BS, dude. And I'm like, dude, I'm tired of all this. How do I build my business without like where, where I can stay in my genius zone? Like I know my unique ability is marketing and talking and being on podcasts or sharing social media concepts and ideas and strategies and techniques. And like, that's, that's where I'm really, really good at. Right. And so that's where I want to spend all my time. And I'm, I'm taking away from my team and my business if I'm not spending my time there. Does that make sense? Right. So how do I, how do I staff out everything else? How do I partner up with somebody else? And, uh, and I started doing some joint venture deals where somebody else would bring the deal and they'll oversee the renovations and they'll be kind of boots on the ground local to that project. And then I can focus on like what I'm good at. My team can focus on what we're good at. So we can do asset management remotely. We can uh, get all the financing. I got a big balance sheet so I can, fund almost any deal. I can raise a lot of money. I'm really good at that. And, um, and do some things in that regard, help with due diligence and anything that can be done remotely, right? Um, advisory, mentorship, that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, maybe the education stuff does make sense. Maybe I can educate people how to do this stuff the right way, how to yeah. do it the smart way. And there's going to be people who go out and do it on their own. That's awesome. I have, I have students who have picked up three, four, 500 units in the past 12 months, right? I've only been doing this since August of last year. And, uh, and then I have other people who are like, dude, this is amazing. Like I have an awesome deal, but I need help getting the loan. I need help raising the money. And so they, they contact me and I can get involved in those deals on a more passive basis and just kind of from an advisory standpoint. And it's a way that I can build my business focusing on the things that I'm really good at. So right. I think you got to ask yourself, like, what are you really good at? What do you like doing? And where's your time, the highest and best use of your time, right? And so... I've asked myself these strategic questions and I've kind of built a business that, that formulates that. So now I, I, I do events, you know, about once a quarter, it yeah. brings a lot of deal flow. And then there's other people in the room who are like, dude, this is way too much work. I don't want to do any of this, but I have much money. You know, I'm an e-com guy and I just sold my business for $30 million. Can I just put it with you? And I'm, yeah, yeah, you can do that. Right. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it, it allows them to get into deals that they couldn't get into, but still have the insight and, and the knowledge on how to like look at these things and make sure it's a good idea, a, a good deal. And then it allows a lot of active operators to get into bigger projects, kind of like what you were talking about at the beginning, Mike, which is like, uh, how, how much time does it take? Well, you can go build it organically like I did. I bought an eight unit and then another eight unit. And then I had 16 units. So I could have, I could go and get a 14 unit, right? And then I had 30 some units. So I bought, went and bought a 30, 31 unit. And then all of a sudden I was 60 units. I was able to qualify for an 84 unit building. And I gradually uh, uh, built up my portfolio that way. I didn't even know that there were loan sponsors out there. I didn't even know that people could, could help, you know, bring capital to the deal. Right. And yeah. so, um, so it's allowing other people to fast track their success and get to where I am in, you know, 18, 24, 36 months where it took me 11 years. Right. Yeah. So they can kind of consolidate that and get, get involved in, in bigger stuff sooner. And so it's, it's a sweet deal for them. It's a sweet deal for me and, uh, and everybody wins. So like, that's my, that's what I'm spending a lot of time on now is like the education side of things and just letting people know, like, you know, here's how to buy, here's how to, here's how to underwrite it. Here's how to raise private money. Here's how to get the financing. Here's how to oversee the value add project management, the yeah. property management, all that stuff. Right. And, um, and trying to take like all the, all the heavy lifting off their plates. So I actually have a fund, a 506C fund 
that's a general solicitation that should be launching. Dude, shit was supposed to launch last week, so I'm a little bit salty about it. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. uh, but we, we expect to raise probably somewhere between 50 to $100 million in the next 12 months. Nice, man. And I, I like that side. I like just the investment side yeah. um, and helping people get into other deals and just coming in from like more of a mentor standpoint, um, letting, letting other people uh, who have the time and have the bandwidth to go out and find the deals and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. dude, we can partner up and make sure that they don't fall flat on their face on their first deal. Dude, that's awesome, man. That yeah. is awesome. Awesome, man. So, all right, guys. So how can our folks get in touch with you, man? Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty active on social media, Facebook, mm-hmm. hit me up on Facebook, um, on my personal account. I don't really have a business account. Actually, I think my, my, edu- my partners on the education side created a business account, but nice. I don't, I don't ever plug into that, but <laughs> my personal account, just hit me up, uh, Tim Bratz, uh, uh, facebook.com slash TL Bratz is my, uh, is my lookup on there. I'm a little bit on Instagram and, and LinkedIn and stuff too. So if you guys want to catch me there um, and uh, yeah, that, that's good, man. Love it, dude. Love it. I yeah. completely forgot. I got four questions for you, man. You got some time? Let's do it. All right. Bonus round. Here we go. Here we go. Question number one, what's your favorite book? I would say the, one of the most impactful books for me, that's not one of the classics, like Think and Grow Rich, obviously, How to Win Friends and Influence yeah. People, Richest Man of Babylon, Magic of Thinking Big. Those are all amazing books. Awesome books. Yeah. Um, cornerstones of my personal development and my mindset. But, but one that a lot of people don't know about is something called uh, 12 Pillars by Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn is like the foremost thought leader of, yeah. of personal development, right? And he, he trained like guys like Tony Robbins and a lot of the people that are, that are big nowadays. Uh, so he's got a book called 12 Pillars. It's 100 pages. Dude, you'll, you'll knock it out in a day or two. And it is packed with profound principles on just how to build a, a quality life, you know? Yeah. So it's really, really good. Love that. All right, guys, there'll be a link to that in the show notes page. Make sure you go check it out. I'm going to check it out. That's dope. Question number two, who is your biggest hero and why? Mm. Uh, biggest hero. First, first thought is my dad, you know, my dad, uh, um, dude, I've never seen anybody with his work ethic, right? Like, like all growing up my entire life, he always had three to four jobs, right? He had a, in his primary job, he was a police officer, had a part-time business, um, while he was, while he was working through, um, the police department, the police department was willing to pay for higher education. So he went out and got an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, a master's nice. degree, and then a PhD all while working full time, nice, part time business. <clears throat> and then he had a PhD first one in our family ever to have a PhD. Right. And, uh, and the only, I think, um, and then, and then he, he goes and uh, starts teaching college as well while he's got all this other stuff going on and doing consulting and all sorts of stuff, man. So uh, tireless work ethic, um, but still like knew what his values were. Like, right. like still made every single baseball game, still made every single basketball game, still like was there to support and, and uh, lived on less to give me, my brothers and my sister more and um, uh, just an amazing guy. That's awesome, and, and, man. And wasn't raised with a father, right? Like, was raised by a single yeah. parent. His dad was uh, like a, a raging alcoholic that died um, when he was like, I don't know, three, four, five, eight years old, something like that. Right. Um, he, he never met his dad. And so, like, to come from that and then be such, a, such an amazing figure, I think, is, is dude, more successful than I've, than I've been, right? Like, that, yeah. is, that is coming a farther distance than, than what I've been able to do. So, um, I think that, that means a lot. That's impressive, man. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Question number three, what do you like to do for fun? 
Dude, I, I love traveling. I have a four-year-old yeah. and a two-year-old, so it's, it's not as fun as it used to be. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of work traveling with them, but I love traveling. I love doing anything outdoors. Um, cool. Dude, probably the most like calming that I, that I get and the most meditative that I get is just taking a run through the, through the park system here in Cleveland, what's called the Metro Parks. I take my dog and we just do, we run on the trails and that's really, really cool. And um, I'm working on a house down in Charleston, South Carolina. So I go on a, on a beach and just got to go for a run on the beach and be in nature and, yeah. and just like let it hit me. So that's, uh, that's one of my favorite things to do. Love it, man. Absolutely love it. All right. And then question number four, uh, what three nuggets of wisdom would you leave for those who are just getting started? Ooh, that's a good one, dude. Uh, okay, here's what I would do. Two of them are kind of combined into one, but the, the, the most important thing to understand in real estate is that there are only two things that generate revenue, right? Mm-hmm. One is finding deals and the other one is finding money to do those deals. Everything else is noise. If you're not focused on finding deals and finding money, dude, you're wasting time. You're doing non-revenue generating activities. So you have to find deals. You have to find money. Those generate revenue and revenue solves all problems. So that's the only thing you as a CEO of your business should be focused on. Staff out everything else. Um, and then as you continue to build, like really, really focus on those two things. Um, so it doesn't matter what the economy is. doesn't matter what's going on with the housing market. If you can find deals and you can find money, doesn't matter what's going on. You will be able to make money in real estate. So that's, that's the first two. Then the third one is uh, join a mastermind. Find a mentor. A mentor is amazing. I like masterminds even better, which is a, it's essentially a group of entrepreneurs or people who are kind of going in the same direction as you, right? And uh, the collective brain power that sits in a room, it's like, hey, here's something that I can give. Here's a, a, um, a superpower of mine that I can kind of help you guys out with. And at the same time, everybody raises their hand and says, hey, this is the number one struggle going on in my life or in my business right now. And here's what I need help with. And because of the experience and because of the brain power in the room, they're able to push you through these things in a fraction of the time that it would take you to get through it on your own, right? And so I've seen, since I joined a mastermind four and a half years ago, dude, my growth has excelled in ways that I couldn't even, like if I showed you what my portfolio looked like for that and then what's happened since I joined a mastermind and the resources that I've gotten from joining, from being in masterminds and the connections and the friendships and the places I've traveled because of it, um, dude, it's opened up so much. So if I went back to 20-year-old Tim again and there was one thing or three things that I told him, I'd say, hey, get really good at finding deals, get really good at finding money and join a mastermind immediately. Love it, man. Love that. Guys, Tim Bratz, dude, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the help. The help dude, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for all the value you guys give and uh, the difference you guys are making. So you're making a positive <laughs> impact and can't say enough good things about you. Dude, I appreciate it, man. We'll have to be in touch and bring you back on the show. Love to. All right. Appreciate man. it, Mike. Outstanding. That was an awesome episode. Thanks so much to our special guests and thanks to you for listening. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, make sure you go and do that or schedule a call with us by texting ADPI to 444-999 or checking out our website at www.activedutypassiveincome.com to find out how you can get started on your financial freedom journey today. I'll see you guys next week.